Good morning. It is the 6th of February, 2024. And just a bit of a disclaimer. Um, my whole house is sick, including myself. So we're going to do this quickly today. And if please forgive any coughs or sniffles or anything during this. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So the story of Marco Rupnik is one of the, another one of those stories that won't go away. And it really is sort of a litmus test on the leadership quality in the church. Part of being a decent leader is being able to make very basic, common sense, moral decisions, even when they're unpopular. So there's a question now in the church. Should Marco Rupnik's artwork be hanging in high-profile places or any property, really, in the church, but especially at the Fatima Shrine, at that uh, Knights of Columbus uh, headquarters, wherever that one is. It's in the United States somewhere, and they have his artwork all over the place there. Should his artwork be up at Lourdes? Should it be at Padre Pio's shrine? You get the idea. His artwork is everywhere. And we're also going to talk a bit today about the nature of his artwork because Hillary White at her Substack has a magnificent piece describing why the artwork is so unsettling to Catholics. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will invite you to read it at her Substack yourself. But we're going to go over like why the eyes of the artwork is so unsettling. So let's begin with the main event, which is from Catholic News Agency. Let's just make sure we are okay. Very good. Exclusive. Lord's Bishop hopes to make decision on Rupnik mosaics by spring. Now, I've had seen some clever people on social media saying the only the only decision that needs to be made about this artwork is the method you use to remove it. Now, they used a little spicier language that I'm going to use on YouTube to describe it. But the, their, the, the sensible take about whether or not Catholic shrines should be honoring the work of, a, of someone who, it's pretty clear, has done some pretty awful things involving nuns, unspeakable things, including sacrileges. It's, uh, the only question is the method for removing this so-called artwork. So here you have a picture of Bishop Jean-Marc Macasse of Lourdes. He is the local ordinary, wearing a very uh, modern style uh, crucifix as part of his bishop's attire. Let's go over the story. This was published yesterday. The Bishop of Lourdes says that he has received a pile of letters from Catholics all over the world as he considers whether to remove the shrine's mosaics by bad person, Father Marco Rupnik. And Catholics all over the world, this is a good sign. Okay, Catholics have had enough. This is a very good sign. Bishop McCoss of Lourdes told CNA that he hopes to make a decision by this spring. The bishop formed a special commission last year to determine the future of the Rupnik mosaics. This occupies my mind, my prayer, and my heart every day, especially when I meet those who had been harmed by Ted McCarrick types. 
In an interview at the bishop's residence in Lourdes, Lacoste acknowledged that for him, this is, quote, a very, very difficult decision to make. Let's pause here. How is this a difficult decision to make? Granted, there is a lot of money involved in this, this artwork. It's going to be resource-intensive removing and replacing this, quote-unquote, sacred art. That I understand. But here's the thing. I suspect strongly that if the bishop stood up and said, unilaterally made a decision because he is a bishop, he this is in his diocese, it's his sole responsibility. If he said, we're going to remove this, but we need financial help to do it, and did a fundraiser with transparency safeguards involved to help raise the resources necessary to not only remove the artwork, but to replace it with something more appropriate, I suspect the faithful would open up their wallets to help. Just call it a hunch. I suspect that would be the response from the faithful. But this is, of course, lack of sense here with a lot of these things. This is not a very difficult decision to make for a normal Catholic. The man, it's pretty clear, was uh, doing some pretty awful things, and we should not be honoring such a figure with their quote-unquote artwork in high-profile parishes. And then he goes on to say, but he has to make the difficult decision. Well, I'm glad he acknowledges that. Since forming the commission, the bishop has met with, with people who have been harmed by mechanic types, heard from sacred art specialists, and consulted with experts from across France who make up the commission. And we've received letters, letters, a pile of letters, people very angry because the mosaics are still there, and other people who were very angry at the idea that we could remove them. Oh boy, there's a lot of Catholics who like his artwork, apparently. The bishop shared how he was inspired to form the commission after a conversation he had with a woman from England who had served as a volunteer in Lourdes for many years, aiding the sick who had come to wash in the bath seeking healing. She told me, I met many, many women who come to Lourdes in order to ask for special healing after McCarrick and Rupnik kind of things have happened to them. And they come to the Immaculate Conception to be cured, to be healed, to find consolation. The woman went on to describe how the architecture of Lord's Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, with its grand entrance of two large curving ramps on either side of Rosary Square, was meant to convey the arms of the Immaculate Conception embracing her children. And now for me, for them, the arms are not the arms of the Immaculate Conception. They are the arms of Father Rupnik. Because that's what the artwork looks like. That's there. I think you get the idea. They're going to talk about this in the spring to decide whether or not to remove these, because there are apparently Catholics who are completely fine with this. I am astonished by this, that anybody outside of the Curia, and maybe the uh, close company of Rupnik, would be fine with this, but I never cease to be surprised by this stuff. Richard says, when I think of Rupnik, I can't help but thinking birds of a feather flock together. I try not to think of who the other birds are, but they do seem to be protecting each other, don't they? Yes. Yes, they do. They very much do. Dory says, hope you all have some good chicken, onion, and mushroom soup today. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, you know, the thing is, I know I'm going to get a lot of emails from people saying, hey, well, here's a, here are the supplements you should take that you can buy at any store or anything. I've been using them, and they didn't keep me from getting sick yet again. So, um, anyway, Colleen says, the decision is not necessary. Decision, it's satanic. It has no place there. Right. This is not a decision that should be hard. The hard part should be what method should you use to remove them and what do you replace them with? And this is why, like I said before, if somebody did, a, if the bishop announced a, that he needed a fundraiser to get the funds together to replace several million dollars worth of art, I don't think he'd have a hard time. 
But that's, I mean, that's what's really astonishing about this. And there's some reactions to this, of course. You get this from, you know, Catholic side is a good, a good account to follow if you're on Twitter looking for Catholic uh, accounts to follow. He says he was in Lawrence recently for a conference and the sight of the mosaics made him, made, like repulsed him. Can't even imagine how it makes those, it makes uh, those harm by Rupnik feel. Again, this is. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. As one person responded, no disrespect, disrespect to the bishop, but this would be the easiest decision in the world for me. In fact, I would be taking the pickaxe of those ugly, hideous murals. And, it, and Catholic Sat's right. They probably are going to remove it. The delay is to form the other shrines. Now, that's an interesting take. That Lords will lead the way, and it will invariably mean that Fatima, San Giovanni Rotondo will follow and leave the Vatican forced to remove three-quarters of the Redemptorist Mater Chapel. Again, Rupnik has such influence that his artwork is not only in shrines around the world, but he's actually has three-quarters of the Redemptorist Mater Chapel with his quote-unquote artwork. That is astonishing. And then there's other places, John Paul II Shrine, the Knights of Columbus Headquarters Chapel, and it's in a lot of Knights of Columbus literature, which is located in New Haven, Connecticut. So there you go. I'm really astonished that his artwork is that widespread in the church. But again, he has been a known quantity for 40 years almost in the church with whispers about him going back to the late 80s, early 90s which begs a lot of questions about what was church leadership doing in those days to not do something about him. Marine says, didn't Pope Francis have a meeting recently with Andre Serrano, the horde artist from the nineties? Yes, he did. And I covered that in my, I did cover that in my, uh, in a live stream that I did last week that on uh, a meeting, the end with Serrano and, um, with Martin Scorsese for a new film, which if you know about Marcos, Mar Martin Scorsese's work on the faith, you understand that that's not good news. So it's a hard decision for the squish op to whether or not remove the satanic art of a, yeah, yeah, Joe. Yeah. Why, why this is hard is I don't, I don't understand. Um, but I want to show you something here from, uh, this is from Hillary White. She has this good piece on her Substack, and no, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's long, and it goes into a lot of like technical details about sacred art. But that is some of Rupnik's art, and most people immediately notice the dark eyes and call them demonic. And so her piece is called "The Eyes of Marco Rupnik: Black Soulless Holes." And she asks the basic question: Why do they bother us so much? And there's a lot of reasons. And I would going to suggest again. You read this whole thing. I'm not going to read the article for you in its entirety here. I'm just going to zoom in on one part here. It's the eyes are what always people draw attention to, but she goes into a lot of detail talking about proportionality. You know, we're getting into some like real technical art science here, but the, she goes into the proportionality of Byzantine artwork, Byzantine iconography. And 
one thing that defenders of his so-called art will uh, will tell you is that it's just a modern hip take on Byzantine art. As a general pro tip, any kind of modern take on timeless things is usually the very least cringe-inducing, if not just outright diabolical. And she she goes over the details about why Rupnik's art is wrong, including how his so-called art violates all norms of the Byzantine style that he claims to be inspired by. His work is better understood, according to Hillary White, as a parody of Byzantine art. And, you know, she kind of dismisses the idea that it's demonic. And I want to defend the idea that it's demonic. We're not saying that when he's painting saints this way, that he's painting pictures of saints parading as, or demon pictures of demons parading as saints. It's demonic or diabolical in that it's meant to take something sacred and turn it over to use for evil. And that's what we're talking about here. And I think that'll make, by quoting her here on this concept of the eyes and why it's important, we'll get a better idea of this. So here's what she has to say about the issue of the black demonic looking eyes in his art. It's not really demonic in the sense that he's portraying Jesus and various saints as demons. It's that the eyes are flat and lifeless. So from Miss White's Substack, quote, Whenever the subject of Marco Rupnik's work comes up on social media, people always talk about the black soulless eyes or the black voids for eyes that are the standout feature of his style. People feel this instinctively. We look at this kind of work, and even if we know nothing about Byzantine sacred art, we could feel there is something off about this depiction. It's wrong at a visceral level. Antonis, the iconographer in the video above, says that, quote, the eyes are, of course, the alpha and the omega of iconography. The one rule, get the eyes right, can be extended to all figure and portrait painting. Human beings from infancy learn to judge the disposition of the other person by the eyes. We look at a face and we see the eyes most of all. Here's the serious artistic reason why the eyes in Rupnik's work are wrong, and most decidedly not in keeping with either the Eastern or Western traditions of sacred art. They're expressionless. The blank Rupnik stare is the expression of a lifeless doll. Neurologists, psychologists, and anthropologists are in rare agreement on the importance of seeing the eyes in facial recognition, all the way back to our infancy. From looking at eyes, we do our social interaction and bonding. Focusing on the eyes helps us understand emotions, intentions, and attention. We do our threat detection the same way. Our brains have dedicated areas specifically designed for facial recognition and processing of expression, and it is particularly sensitive to the eye region. This neural specialization enhances our ability to extract vital survival information from looking at eyes. We do it automatically and instantly. One of the big cues we see and react to subconsciously is the dilation and constriction of the pupils. Pupillary response can indicate, indicate an array of stimuli from, um, we'll say, the elevated interest in matters of the flesh to imminent mortal threat. Pupils dilate in response to changes in light, but also stress and fear. It seems to be true that in the Renaissance period, it was a common cosmetic practice to put drops made from the belladonna, a tropa belladonna, plant in woman's eyes to simulate uh, interest in matters of the flesh. The same reason women use lipstick today. Belladonna contains atropine, which acts to block certain nerve impulses, which dilate the pupils. Of course, belladonna means beautiful woman in Italian. The use of black eyes as a standard trope or visual motif in horror and sci-fi films and TV shows reflects our instinctive understanding of these psychological facts. Pretty much all humanoid monsters, vampires, and especially people who've been diabolically possessed are given the all black eyes as the visual indicator that something is wrong here. 
This looks like a person, but it is fooling you. It is really a monster in a human suit who is about to eat you. Just look at the black eyes. They're often changed abruptly from normal eyes to all black as a cliched but effective jump scare. This is because we have that infallible, instinctive understanding that a person coming at us with enormously dilated pupils is a potential threat. And this brings us back to Repnik and his odd choice to depict every one of his iconographic faces with this kind of eye. Apart from the general look of faux primitivism and his use of deliberately chaotic and disconnected lines and angles, the black eyes are his standout feature. We obviously meant to notice and take home some message. What emotional state most commonly causes this in another person? elevated levels of interest in matters of the flesh or a fear response to a mortal threat or rage or uh, substances use that are used. But what you might think a famous Christian artist would be going for, end quote, especially in images of saints or of our blessed Lord or in heavenly things. Now, again, that quote is from a much larger, much more interesting article. I highly recommend you check it out. I'll have a link in today's show notes at returntotradition.org for your perusal. Once this is once this live stream is done, it'll be up there within just a few minutes. Is anyone surprised, though, that his art is either meant to invoke a fear response or one that suggests that heightened states of being ready for or interested in engaging in activities suitable to the married state? Is anyone in, surprised by this? I don't think so. I This is what we have come to expect from the modernists and this is again why i have to ask the basic question why is this so hard of a decision for the bishop of lords to make to remove that his evil artwork there now it could be that uh that some commentators are correct that they're simply going to be doing this you know, you know, sort of coordinating essentially with other shrines and being the first to take the lead so that it that gives permission for others to follow suit. That could be the case, and I really hope that's true. But I suspect strongly that it's literally just another kind of thing we've seen in the church too much in our time. This popularity fear, this fear of taking bold, decisive action when it is absolutely needed. Remember, one of the things that characterizes our time in the church is that the bishops and priests, all too many of them, are too concerned with what the public thinks, whether that's the secular public or the laity. And so he, remember, that bishop made note of the enormous amounts of letters he got, some demanding the art being removed and others being really upset that they would even consider removing that artwork. The right thing is being dictated by popular opinion. And it's interesting because I just finished recording this morning before going live Pope St. Pius X and the next excerpt from Pascendi Dominici Gregus. And in that next section, he talks about the democratization of the church, how dogma and doctrine are defined, according to the modernists, by this sort of impulse from the laity, this popular opinion. Odd timing, that. This is a perfect example of that. We've seen it all too much in the church lately. Amy says, no bold, decisive action is allowed. Apparently not. Especially when you consider the fact that Rubnik was clearly, he's clearly got friends in high places. Is this bishop, you know, is he being given a sense of sort of question? And is he having a sense of pause about all of this? Because there may be consequences for him for removing things. And not just from the laity who cannot possibly believe that that diabolical art would be taken out, but from Rupnik's friends in Rome. 
Roseanne says they talk about beauty but create ugly. The new mass is no comparison to the Tridentine. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is like the, the, the essence of modernism is to call something that's ugly beautiful and then just keep telling us that until people believe it. And says perhaps we could do animal studies with rupnik images. How do prey animals react to those eyes? That would be interesting. Um, I would w want that kind of study done by you know animal experts and others who have an experience with that kind of thing. Darley says even animals react to direct eye contact frequently perceive. Yeah, they do. Most people know not to do that with like say someone's dog unless it's like your dog. Let's see. I apparently Anthony Abbott's in the. There we go. His paintings fall into the uncanny valley category. <laughs> Good morning, Anthony. Glad to see you. Evaculata says, no, Uncanny Valley refers to a human-like figure that is almost human, but just slightly off. Many refer to the children in the movie The Polar Express. Right, like early, a lot of the early computer animated films from the like, late 90s into the mid-2000s, before Pixar and some other companies really got good at what they were doing, they all looked unsettling in a weird way, which is why so many of those films didn't have human characters very much at all, because their human characters were just unsettling to look at. It wasn't like, you know, watching a Looney Tunes thing. It was because those kind of characters are, we, our brain can tell the difference between just sort of a caricature and something that's unsettling. And go watch like Toy Story. You'll see what I'm talking about. The first Toy Story, the human beings that are uncomfortable to watch. It's why they're not in the movie very often. Um, let's go down here. Josephine says, sadly, Rupnik's art is gravely soiled by his atrocious behavior and should not be allowed in sacred places. Right. And I, I, I think there, his artwork is almost like a window into his soul. Almost. I, I make no claims about his, his present spiritual state, but it does reveal something about him. It really does. All right, folks. Like I said, I'm really not feeling well today. My whole house is uh, down with the Probably just a cold, but you could probably hear it in my voice at this point. And so we're going to wrap this up. Um, I've got some news out of uh, Fiducia Supplicants going live here in the next half an hour on the channel. It isn't all good at all, unfortunately. But uh, let me know your thoughts on the erupting situation. Do you think that bishop should just take decisive action? Do you agree with my take that he would find wide support from laity if he did an independent fundraiser? To, to cover the cost of removing the art, replacing it. Very curious what you have to say about this in the comments, please. So hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help as the sharing this on social media. That helps too. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.